morning is going to come from the book of Revelation, chapter 4. I'm going to start in verse 11. I'm going to read all of chapter 5. Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. Then I saw on the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven and on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or look in it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into the earth. And he went and he took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated at the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain and by your blood, you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked, and I heard around the throne the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels, numbering myriads and myriads of thousands and thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain, to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Mm. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, amen. And the elders fell down and they worshiped. This is the word of the Lord. Let's uh, pray before we start. <clears throat> Father God, you are a sovereign God. Mm -hmm. You hold the universe in the palm of your hands. Help us to understand what that means this morning. Help us to understand that, that your sovereign will is to bring the nations to you through global missions, through your will. And help us, Lord, to get a little uncomfortable this morning. Would you open our hearts to the things that break yours? Would you be with my words this morning? Father, I pray, uh, most importantly, uh, that your will would be done, that your name would be lifted up high in every single one of the souls that are in this room. Mm -hmm. I pray, Lord, that we would understand what it means to lift your name up on high. We give you all the glory and honor and blessing. Amen. Good morning. Uh, I grew up uh, in a farming community about an hour west of here. And um, up until the mid, early to mid-80s, when I was 10, 11, 12 years old, um, I thought that that's where I was going to spend the rest of my life. And um, candidly, most of my aunts and uncles live within about a 10-mile radius of that little town, Jamestown, which is uh, a little bedroom community west of Brownsburg. And uh, I thought that I was going to be a farmer with my dad and my uncle and just live there all my life. And uh, I was surprised, though, one day to hear that this man that I admired very much, my Grandpa Mac, my grandfather, Grandpa Mac, as we affectionately called him, who lived just down the road, had this crazy idea. He was always coming up with crazy ideas. And this crazy idea kind of was over the top, in my opinion. Um, he decided to go on a two-month learning exposition um, and, and exploration of southern India to find out what God was doing there and if there was any chance for, to, to maybe plant uh, churches there. And I thought, good luck. I think you're crazy, Grandpa. I don't know why you'd want to go and, and go there and be there for two, two, long, or two long months. And then he came back, and he went again, and trip after trip after trip. And then occasionally he would take my grandma along with, with him, 
And I remembered the anticipation I had every time they went away because I was, I was pretty close to them. I'd hang out at their house and they helped raise me. And I remember just the anticipation waiting for them to come back. One hot July evening after one of their arrivals back into Jamestown, I remember that they gathered all of our family, all of their kids, my cousins, and I can, I can uh, still see us all packed in this little kitchen in grandma's house. And we were all staring at a refrigerator. And on the refrigerator was a slideshow. And if you remember, if you're old, old like me, you'll remember that this, these slideshows were like these Kodak carousels, right? And as we, we would watch them talk about the love of Christ for, for people in India, they'd just gotten back from the state of Kerala in southern India where they had planted their first church. Uh, I remember some of the, some of the uh, carousel, the, 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 the pictures were upside down accidentally. A grandma standing next to, uh, to an Indian orphan. And uh, I thought to myself, my, my grandparents have completely lost it. But then I remember sitting there. I, I remember sitting on the floor that I can still see the red tile. I can still smell her kitchen. And I remember thanking God. This was literally a prayer from, a, from about a 12-year-old. Thank God I don't have to go. Thank God that, they're, that, they, that they have this passion, but I'm glad that I get to stay here. I'm glad that I'm going to farm here with my dad and my uncle all of my life. And just then, a voice came into my heart and said, I have something for you like this someday. And I remember kicking against it, saying in my heart, I don't want to hear that. That must be indigestion or something. <laughs> Fast forward to the mid-90s. My wife and I are at a missions conference. We're at a missions conference, and uh, we're there hosting missionaries from all over the world. They're on furlough, coming back to tell, telling their stories. And we sat across from uh, a couple, uh, and I can't remember even who they were. I remember they were from Ecuador. They were Americans. And they said to Robin and I, you'd make great missionaries. And uh, I remember uh, hearing them say, you should really consider this. Like, they were really prying on us. And so we went along with the conversation, politely nodding, you know, letting their encouragement uh, you know, just take over the conversation. Uh, Robin and I then got back in the car on the way home and laughed our, laughed our way all the way home, saying, there's no way. These people don't even know who we are. There's no way we're ever going to do this. Um, but I knew that God knew the road that he was paving in our hearts about missions. And so today we want to share with you um, about what God is doing to pave that road for his church and bringing his church uh, to this understanding of global missions. Credit for today's teaching goes to people like uh, A.W. Tozer, John Piper, David Platt, uh, but most importantly, credit goes to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who wrote Revelation 5, who wants you to clearly understand some key learning from that passage. There are four things that we're going to cover in Revelation 5. Number one, our sovereign God holds the destiny of the world in the palm of his hands. Number two, the state of man before God, apart from Christ, is utterly hopeless. Number three, God wants you to know and accept the greatest news in the world. And number four, the atonement of Christ is gracious and global. My wife and I were uh, getting ready for today, and, and, and on the way here to Soma this morning, uh, we thought to ourselves, you know, this is going to be really special because we've not shared our testimony about missions in a while. Um, and uh, there's one group of five people in this room that uh, I'm just grateful that they get to hear this story again. And those are my kids uh, who get to uh, see uh, and understand their heritage and missions. Point number one, our sovereign God holds the destiny of the world in the palm of, our, uh, palm of his hands. First, what does sovereign mean? So I looked this up. Uh, sovereign is not in this passage, but the, but the meaning is. So sovereignty of God is a Christian teaching that God is the supreme authority and all things under his control. Sovereignty is an attribute of God based upon the premise that God, as the creator of heaven and earth, has absolute right and full authority to do and allow whatever he desires. Thank you, Wikipedia. Now, let's look at what a better source says, and that's the book of Revelations. In verse, verse 11 from chapter 4, we see, For you created all things, and by your, by your will they existed and were created. 
Then in verse 1, we see a king. He's sitting on a throne. He's got a, he's got a scroll in his hand. What's in this scroll? The scroll contains a judgment by which God will, in a very short time, restore every single thing that he's created back to a condition of paradise. And then these are the judgments from chapter 6 to chapter 19. It has all of human history. It has all of God's will. It has his decrees, his promises, his promises for those who believe. It has the decrees for people who don't believe in him. And it is a course of all of history. And this is all very good news when you look at the entirety of, of chapter 5. He is sovereign, he's mighty, he's powerful, and he's full of authority. What God wants, God gets. He's 100% complete control, and I'm not, and you're not. And guess what? That's good news, that I'm not in control. He is sovereign over all nations, all dust, all stars, all things. He has all the rights, and we don't. He has the right to damn sinners. He has the right to redeem sinners. He holds everything in the palm of his hands. So we're talking about global missions. Why are we talking about sovereignty of God? You can't understand and can't connect with global missions and the heartbeat of Christ for the nations without understanding the sovereignty of our God. Here's the second point. In verses 2 through 4, we see some not so good news. We see people who have fallen away. We have people who have disobeyed. We have people who are full of sin, which is probably most of us in this room. In fact, all of us in this room, and you'll see why. Colossians 1.21. I'm going to go through a couple of, of a few passages here that, that talks about the state of man, man apart from Christ is absolutely, utterly hopeless. Colossians 1.21. And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind... We're doing evil deeds. Romans 3.23, many of us know this. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 5.12, therefore, just as sin came into the world by one man, and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all have sinned. And here's what the author of, of, of global missions has to say. This is Jesus himself saying this in John 8.34. Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who, who practices sin is a slave to sin. And then we, get, and we end up in Revelation 5. And we see this, this mighty angel. And we, we're not sure exactly who's all in this place. We don't know if it's on a mountainside, in a temple. But we know that a mighty angel is asking a very basic question. Who is worthy to open the scroll? And no one puts their hand in the air. Because no one is worthy to do so. Without Christ, all is hopeless. I talked about my grandpa a little earlier. In 1989... April of 1989, we got some news. My grandpa had uh, uh, an aneurysm, and he was gone in a week. So that same guy that I talked about earlier, starting all these um, churches in India, passed away. And I remember being there at the funeral, and um, I had never really thought about the verses in Amazing Grace, but that's a, that's a very typical funeral song, and we're singing along, and I'm weeping, and everyone's weeping and crying, and we're also celebrating this man who had brought Christ to places like India and to his own family in Jamestown, Indiana. And we got to verse 4 of Amazing Grace. When we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as a sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than the day we first begun. And that gave me so much hope. But unfortunately, when we look at this in the, in the context of verses 2 through 4, it is hopeless. There will be people, unfortunately, in the future that may be saying things like this. When we've been there 10,000 years, dying but never dead, we've no less days to beg for grace than when we first begun. That is sobering. And this is a warning for everyone whose hope is not in Christ. In his saving blood, in his death, and his resurrected victory. But thanks be to God that there is good news. That if we place our trust in Christ, we'll be saved. Romans, Romans 10.9 says the greatest news for those who have heeded this warning, who have believed in your heart and confessed with your mouth, will be saved. That's a promise. 
One of the elders said in, in verse 5 through 8, he says, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and the seven seals. And between the throne and the, and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with the seven horns and with the seven eyes and with the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. He went and he took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp, golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. This is good news. This is what we celebrate. This is what we celebrate as Christians, as ambassadors of his kingdom. We've been talking about Isaiah all month long and as we've talked about Advent. Advent is basically looking forward to the second coming of Christ. Him keeping his promise. That's what we're looking forward to. And we go all the way back to Isaiah. Isaiah 11 says, uh, the root of David has conquered death. Isaiah 9, last week many of us probably listened to Isaiah 9 and didn't even know this. It's a Christmas passage that shouts of, the Lord's, of our Lord's deep desire to make every wrong right through his son. Exodus 12, let's go back in time even further. What's going on in Exodus 12? We see the Israelite nation completely enslaved by the Egyptians. And we see no hope. It's dire. We see Moses come on the scene and he says, let my people go. God uses Moses to, to let his people go, but Pharaoh doesn't want to let, his people, let the Israelites go. It's too much at stake. And so the final plague the final plague is this, is that the firstborn of every family will die, even, in, even the livestock, except there's a promise. There's a promise, and, 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 and God tells Moses to tell his people that if you take an unblemished lamb and take the blood from that unblemished lamb after you've slain it and wipe it on your doorpost, that you'll be saved. You see, Exodus 12 is both history, but it's also prophecy, that under the covering of the innocent lamb's blood, you will be passed over by death and live into a promised land that will never perish. And the slaughtered lamb who was prophesied then and Isaiah and in Revelation, that's Jesus, our sovereign Lord who has paid the penalty. He is the lamb. And all who hide under the banner of his blood will be saved because he endured and has defeated death in our place. Behold the lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world, John the Baptist pronounced. He takes the, the scroll in verse 7 from, from Revelation 5. Who gave him the right to take the scroll? His own righteousness, because he conquered death. In Philippians 2, we see more about Jesus. Philippians 2, by the way, was one of, one of those passages that my, my grandmother, who also went to India, this was one of her, the last things that she ever told me, uh, how important Philippians 2 is. And this is what it says. He emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man, humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Some people say, this doesn't make any sense. And they're exactly right. It makes no sense that God would humble himself with that kind of stature, with that kind of universal global recognition where stars bow down with his power and greatness. He'd humble himself and come and die for a wretch like me and a wretch like you. It makes no sense. Only God's love can, can explain it. And so why are we talking about all this? I thought we were talking about global missions. You can't go and, and, and understand what global missions is all about without the sovereignty, without the saving blood of Jesus Christ. And so point four from Revelation 5, the atonement of Christ is gracious and it's also very global. So what does celebrating Advent have to do with global missions and our offering this month? Going to places and countries that many of us will probably never step foot a great question we should all answer. And I would propose to you that we go to Revelation 5, uh, verse 9 through 14. Starting in verse 9, you can read along. The ransomed was purchased by Jesus' blood for God. 
every tribe, people, nation, and language. You see, he loves people in every tribe, people, nation, and language. Last week, Brandon talked about this, um, the, the, the idea of the love that we celebrate at Christmas time. He referenced Isaiah 35.10. Isaiah 35.10 says, And the ransom of the Lord shall return. That's the very same language that's used in Revelation. So we who believed are ransomed. What are we ransomed from? We're ransomed from the penalty of the sin. Our sin. Someone had to pay. It's like we were imprisoned by our own sin. And there's a guy that came along. His name is Christ. And he said, I'll, I'll pay the penalty for that person. I will substitute myself for them. Therefore, you and I, if we believe, are ransomed. This is good news. Ephesians 1 says, He has chosen you and predestined you and, adopt, and, and adopted by him. And that gift should compel us to join Christ in global missions. He gives us that capacity in Matthew 28. Matthew 28 says to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them all I've commanded you. The word nations in the original language implies everyone except for the Hebrews because the audience in Matthew 28 are 11 Hebrew men. He's saying go. We've been talking to your countrymen for three years. Now it's time to go into all the nations. Today the word nations, I would suggest to you, might imply people that are in your family, people that are in your same socioeconomic group, but it also implies people that are not in your socioeconomic group, your preferential friend or family group. That could be people on your street. It could be people in the, in your, in, in sitting next to you here. It could be people at your work. It could be people from here in Midtown to the ends of the earth. All people, all nations different from yours. In Acts 1, we see the nations could mean uh, Judea, Samaria, and the end of the earth. Judea could mean, for us people here in, 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 living in Indy, it could be people right here in our town. It could be people here in Indiana. In Samaria, that could be next door. Think of a neighboring state. Uh, when we think about to the ends of the earth, that obviously means every nation. But right now, we're here in Indy. We find our place, ourselves in a city, just like Peter did in Acts chapter 2. 2,000 years ago, we see God's sovereignty acted out by the Holy Spirit's invasion. They were all there in one place, and a mighty, mighty rushing wind came in and filled the entire house. Flames broke out on their heads. And think about this for a second. Peter, the denier, the screw-up, the hot-headed, shoot-ready, aim, disciple, spoke. And in his weakness, God's strength filled Peter, and he preached. And you can actually read his sermon, if you'd like, in the second chapter of, of Acts. And the result that day, what were the results? The result was about 3,000 people received the word and were baptized that day. Global mission starts right where you are, and it goes to the ends of the earth. At Christmas time, we sing a song, Go Tell It on the Mountain. And this is a, another connection between Advent and giving to global missions. Go tell it on the mountain that Jesus Christ is here. You know that there are over 6,000 people groups and millions more around the globe who have never heard a, a, a phrase that we often say here at Midtown, which is the gospel changes everything. They haven't heard it. They haven't heard the good news. So our commission isn't yet complete. If we believe in Revelation 5.9, then why would we not go to every tribe, every tongue, every nation? Why wouldn't we do this? It's, it's not out of guilt. It should be because we believe in Jesus and that is out of our deep desire to give all of the glory that he deserves. That should compel us to go. And that's why we do this. So my question uh, as we wrap up this little segment is, is go tell it on the mountain, a nice little Christmas song that we like to package in December of each year and put it away with all the Christmas ornaments and everything else January 1, or do we really mean it? I want to now invite Robin up to... Uh, share some practical realities, some stories about how we have internalized this teaching. 
So I wish that what I could say was, as the Lord saturated our minds with the truth of his sovereignty and the beauty of the good news, um, as we really allowed the truth that um, eternity was a gift that was given to us to um, infiltrate every part of our lives, that we just said, yes, Lord, to whatever he would ask of us. But our journey into allowing our hearts to be broken for the things that break his wasn't so simple. And so I want to share with you our story of how God used the truths that Christian just shared to transform our hearts and lead us to the mission field. I am probably the most unlikely missionary candidate. I did not grow up in a Christian home like my husband did. I um, never went to church. Uh, my mom was from Europe. We had a very, God was never even spoken about. Um, and so I grew up not knowing any of the um, Christian songs or the normal Bible stories. It was a complete mystery to me. And when I was 18, um, I had some good friends that were believers and that just continued to live out their faith in front of me in a way that was so compelling that I had to know more. And they led me to the Lord. I muddled my way through um, the next few years, just going to Christian bookstores, buying Bible studies, and just going through them on my own trying to figure things out. And then I met Christian, who discipled me and taught me, um, based off of the wealth of his childhood, who Jesus was, and I began to fall in love. We got married, and life carried on, and um, we, we became involved in a church where we were mentored well and discipled well, and we were taught the truth of Scripture. And this concept that God is sovereign and that there's good news and that eternal life is real, that, that what matters is Jesus, was taught to us every week, and it just became a reality with, with it, um, within which we lived. We began teaching Bible studies and discipling and sharing the gospel and, um, and growing in our faith. We had yearly missions conferences, one of which Christian referenced, where I would sit and soak up the words of missionaries who would share what was happening across the globe. Um, and my heart would, um, would burn um, just with a desire to see God's um, good news spread across the globe, but always knowing that that was never something that I would do. I self-disqualified um, from having any kind of involvement in anything globally. Then we had our first child, and, um, and our ministry continued to grow where we were locally. We um, purchased an old um, historic home here, Money Pit, <laughs> that we loved deeply and we began pouring our life savings into um, to fix up. I was pregnant with our second child at the time and um, and in much need of a night out. And so when a friend invited me to go to a dinner that was being hosted by a mission agency that works with orphans in Russia, I said, sure. Um, and so I went. And um, as I heard the stories of these orphans in Russia and the way God was moving throughout Russia, my heart was just lit on fire. And they were taking a short-term missions trip um, a few months later, and of course, I could figure out in my head, by that point, I would have given birth, I'd have a two-month-old and an almost two-year-old, and there was no way I could go. And so I took the application home and told Christian, you have to go. And um, he thought it was crazy, but I persisted and persisted and persisted. And so he eventually, through prayer, decided, yes, he would go on this short-term missions trip to Russia. And um, as he was preparing with the team to go, he became gravely ill. And um, through a series of hospital stays and tests, we discovered um, that he was going to require surgery um, for one of his kidneys. And the surgery was scheduled during the trip. And so Christian withdrew um, from the trip. There were no tickets purchased yet, no visa applied for yet. So it was plenty of time. Someone else could take that spot. And I remember being at church on a Sunday, and, um, and we were resigned to the fact, well, that's that. Um, uh, we had a, a dear friend, a truth teller, so someone you avoid if you don't want to hear the truth, right? <laughs> but someone who often finds you to speak the truth. And he said to Christian, I'm so, I have been praying and praying for your trip to Russia. I believe God's going to do big things. You leave in a few weeks, right? To which Christian said, no, Wesley, I'm so sorry that I haven't told you. Here's what's happened over the past six weeks. And Wesley looked at Christian, and he said, 
You can always reschedule an appointment with a doctor, but you cannot reschedule an appointment with God. You told me you were supposed to go, and I believe you're supposed to go. Hmm. And so, I knew I'd get emotional. <laughs> and so, um, God orchestrated all the details to come together within two weeks. Visas, plane tickets, funding for the trip, and Christian went. And so this is, you know, pre-FaceTime, uh, Skype. We weren't in contact for the almost three weeks that Christian was gone. And I remember having my car seat with the baby in tow and Maddie, who was just two years old, arriving um, at the airport waiting for Christian to come out. And he came and he looked at me and he said right away, I totally heard the Lord on this trip and we are supposed to go into full-time ministry. And I was thrilled. I said, yes, there's so many cool opportunities right here in Indianapolis. This will be great. <laughs> and sure enough, opportunities came. Um, we were invited to participate um, with, uh, at the headquarters of a mission agency or to serve with the organization he had gone to Russia with. There were different opportunities coming our way, but as we prayed, we couldn't find peace. Christian was fully surrendered to go wherever the Lord would have him. I was not. I kind of drew a little box and said, Lord, we'll serve you right here. This is where it makes sense. Mm -hmm. So um, we went back to the doctor um, for Christian to get a checkup on what was happening with his kidney. And, um, and they decided they still needed to proceed with the surgery. And when they did go in to do surgery, things were worse than they expected. And so he had to have his entire kidney removed. And then he had some complications with that surgery. So in 2005, December 24th, Christian had his kidney removed and was in a hospital room um, sleeping in the evening. And I was sitting in a chair in the hospital room and I was just praying. And the Lord really convicted me and broke my heart that night as I looked at my husband um, what I thought was, Lord, do not let me be what stands in the way of this man living your best. And Lord, don't let me box you in and miss out on the good plans that you have for us. And I went like this, and I just surrendered. I said, whatever, what, whatever you want, Lord, yes. The answer is yes before I know the question. And then God began to work really quickly as soon as I got out of his way. So... Christian began to recover beautifully, and I was um, at that time teaching a Bible study at our church, and the church was having a special event, and we couldn't use the room for that evening. So one of the women in the Bible study offered up her home, and she explained, I'd never been to her home, but she lived in a hospitality house at the headquarters of a mission agency. And what that meant was that the basement of her home was different individual apartments. And when missionaries would come off the field, they would stay there and they'd conduct their business and she would provide their meals and make sure they had everything taken care of. So we went to Paula's house. I got there early to set up for the Bible study. And from these downstairs apartments, upstairs came a woman just to ask Paula a question and I introduced myself. We had a three minute conversation maybe. And she explained that she, had, she and her husband were coming off of the mission field from Mexico City. They had taught English as a form of evangelism. They had been there years and years, but their parents' health was failing, and they were moving back to care for their parents. And they were just praying for someone to go. And so she returned back downstairs. We did the Bible study. That night I came home, and I said to Christian, oh, I met this interesting woman. And, um, and she said, blah, 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 and I told the story. I was like, wouldn't that be interesting? Do you think God could be laying Mexico City before us? And Christian was like, no way. Can't be. I said, okay. Um, and yet, the Lord began to chase us, as he does, right? He began to chase us, and finally, we got down on our knees, and we said, okay, Lord, if you're leading us to Mexico, then, then we say yes. Would you provide us some, um, some answers? We would love to find out more information. So we began to call the mission agency that they served with. We couldn't get a hold of them, and um, we couldn't reach anybody. Everyone on the field was off on furlough. We couldn't get any information. And so we let about six weeks pass. And we're still praying and praying. And now we are really trying to get information. Nothing. And so I remember that we um, got down on our knees. It was a Saturday night and we prayed, okay, Lord, we think you're closing this door and we'll take it. Closed door. Um, but if not, would you just make it super evident for it to continue down this path? So the next day, Sunday morning, and we were part of a church plant 
on the south side of Indianapolis, there were about, oh, 30 of us that were still in the prayer stage, and we would meet together in an upper room of a large church. It was like, uh, you need GPS to find the room. It was close to impossible to find it. And we would meet up there, pray, and get ready to do our plant. Well, this Sunday, we go, and it's obvious if someone new is there, because we're the same core 30 that have been meeting together, and there's a new couple, and they sit right in front of us. Older couple, and Christian notices that they have a Spanish Bible with them. So, after the service, I went downstairs to collect our children from the nursery, and when I came back up, Christian was just uh, pale, with wide eyes, and he said, come over here. And I did, and he said, I want you to meet Kay and Leroy. Lindsay, they're just visiting from the field in Mexico City. And they have the whole day free to come and meet with us. So the Lord, in less than 24 hours, had answered our desperate cry for some answers. And Kay and Leroy came to our home, and, um, and they shared with us about the needs on the field, and they encouraged us to take a vision trip, just Christian and I, down to Mexico for a few days. And we did. We saw the ministries. We saw the street kids, we saw the church planting, we saw the seminary, we saw the way God was moving in powerful ways. We met beautiful people, and I knew 100% that I would never move my children there, ever. <laughs> so we came back on the plane, and I looked at Christian, and I said, well, that is a no, for sure. <laughs> and he didn't say anything to me in his wisdom, he just nodded. We got home and we rushed off from the airport to a birthday party for one of Maddie's little friends. And some of these women in this group were women that were attended church and they knew that we were going. They wanted to hear everything. And um, a few of them started to say to me, it's irresponsible. I, we, think it's, we think it's the enemy that's even wanting to pull you there. You guys have ministry here. You have things going on here. Things are thriving and you're discipling people. And the enemy is trying to pull you away. And you're, you can't take your children. And started to say, and I started to get very overwhelmed and confused had an accountability partner that was wise, and she was there, she stayed silent. But she called her husband, who happened to work for the mission agency we were considering going with, and then he called me. And he said, I want to invite you to chapel. Our mission headquarters has chapel every Tuesday. Just come, any Tuesday you want to come, and just hear, um, hear how God's working. Be surrounded by people who have their heart broken for the world. And so I did, I picked a Tuesday, and I went to chapel, and um, I sat down, and I didn't know who was speaking or what was happening, and uh, the speaker came up front, and he said, I'm super excited to report and share with all of you how God is moving in Mexico City. And then I knew. So I sat there for an hour while I saw slides of people that we had just met, ministries we had just seen, and to hear the way God was moving. I went home, and I called Christian, and I said, we're going to Mexico, aren't we? he said, yeah, we are. Fear still began to flood my mind. What about this house? How will we ever raise these funds? What about our children? God, of course, is sovereign, and he is gentle, and he is good, and he began to just care for every one of those concerns. Our house, which I mentioned, was a fixer-upper that we had put a lot of time and love and money into. Um, was, um, was a big concern for us. And um, before we could decide what we were going to do with it, we had some friends that had been over for dinner that actually had helped us work on the house a little call and say, talk to us about what's happening. Like, what are you thinking missions-wise? And we said, we're gonna go. We've heard the Lord, we're going to Mexico City. What will you do with your house? We're going to sell it. We'll take it, you tell us how much you want. Never put a sign in the yard. And God wowed us step by step, because he knew that he needed to grow in us a reliance and a trust on him. He knew exactly how we were wired and what we would panic about and what we would um, what we'd worry about. He knew how we'd try to backpedal and we'd question if we heard him, and he knows each one of us so individually. And so when he calls us and he asks us to say yes, it's because he's growing and changing us. We had every reason not to go. Christian had an awesome job. He was the CEO of a nonprofit organization. It was going great. We had tons of local options for ministry. We had health concerns with Christian. We had a thriving community. We had a new house we loved. We had two little children, became pregnant with the third. Um, there was every good reason for us to not go. And yet, we knew that Jesus was calling us. And so we said yes. 
I would love to tell you all about our years in Mexico. So you're invited to our kitchen table. Come, and we'd love to tell you how God transformed us and how he changed our relationship with him and our walk with him through our time in Mexico City. We were there from 2005 to 2009. When we left, Maddie was, uh, Maddie, let's see, Maddie was four, Josh was two, and Ethan was six months old. And then Amelia was born in Mexico. And this is one of our second or third prayer cards we sent out. There's some super cool ways that God is working through SOMA. Um, I want to share with you a few other prayer cards from people in our missional community who are saying yes to what God is asking, even though it means great sacrifice. This is Addison and Katrina, who spoke at church two weeks ago and shared these are two children they're fostering in South Africa. Um, they said yes to the Lord, even though it made no sense based on what they were living here, and yet they're there. This next picture is Hannah Welch, who graduated from AU a few years ago as a nurse, had a great job at Community North Hospital, but her high school experiences of serving in Nicaragua um, on short-term trips gave her such a burden and passion to share the good news and the gospel, the truth that Jesus changes everything with the people in Nicaragua that she's now serving full-time in Nicaragua um, as a missionary through um, NRN. This is a picture of Reagan. Reagan is in our MC, um, has just committed to go, she'll leave in a week, um, to go to Romania um, to bring the good news of the gospel, the truth that Jesus changes everything to um, children in Romania. This next prayer card, this is Tiffany. Tiffany's in our MC, she's an OR fellow, finishing up her second year, graduate of Notre Dame, super amazing young woman who God um, has just stirred in her heart to bring the truth and the beauty of the good news um, to the nations. She'll leave in June um, to go with the world race, 11 countries in 11 months. God's stirring and working in, in this SOMA community, and, um, and we're so excited to hear how he's moving and working in your hearts. So here's the thing. God's sovereign. He has a plan for his people. He wants us to get involved. Why did we go through all of that story from, from the, 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 the going to Russia and the kidney issues and, 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 and what's God, how's God, God going to sell our, our brand new house? We just sunk $12,000 into this thing and, we, and, and, and all of the obstacles that came along with that. Uh, we, I, as I sat there and I listened to the story, trying not to tear up, uh, I was just uh, flooded by this, this overwhelming sense that I know there are people in this room right now thinking, there's no way. I'm glad other people are listening, very much like I did on my grandma's kitchen floor that night when I heard them talk about India. Glad they're doing it. Glad it's not me. I guarantee you there are people in this room right now thinking that. Thinking, there are obstacles to get involved with this whole thing. I'm fine right here. I'm doing my thing at church. I hope today makes you a little uncomfortable because Jesus wants you to get involved. We were so uncomfortable that we could go on for hours about all of the obstacles that we had in our way and in getting involved in the global mission of bringing the world to Christ. And so I know that those trepidations, those worries, those fears are alive and well in this room, but thanks be to God, we have someone who wants to take them and put him on his shoulder. That's the truth. And so what's the implication? So if the goal is to bring the world to himself, and we've seen the obstacles that we all share and the fears, what are the implications? What do we do about it? I simply propose to you three things, that we pray, we give, we go. Pray, give, go. First of all, pray. Let us participate in the gospel by praying confidently for the spread of the gospel to all people. God's sovereignty, as we talked about earlier, doesn't negate the need for prayer. He invites us to pray. Jesus taught us how to pray. In many of your Bibles, there's a little job aid. You know how you get job aids in your work, right? Or training. There's a little bit of training sitting there right in your Bible. In many of our Bibles, it says the Lord's Prayer. That's one of the ways that Jesus has taught us. Today, we have everything from prayer lists, to comprehensive resources like Operation World. I think we have a slide 
uh, kind of a, uh, I copied and pasted that straight from, from Amazon. This is the book. And in this book, you can see all of the prayer needs globally around the world in the world of missions. And uh, Jason Mandrick, who, who's the author, uh, one of the authors of this book, says, prayer is indeed potent. Sustained intercession for the unreached people of this world who do not yet know Jesus is action. Prayer is an act of faith. It's like, a, it's like the mustard seed story that we hear Jesus talk about. Let us pray, let, let our prayers not be puny. Let them not be safe. Let them be dangerous. Let, let them be bold and expectant. Prayer is an act of obedience. Samuel in the Old Testament, one of the last great judges, tells his people, moreover, as for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you. Prayer is an act of worship also, recognizing the sovereignty of God. It's also an act of warfare. Ephesians 6 points this out, praying all the time in the Spirit with prayer and supplication. Prayer is indeed wanted by God. So pray. Number two, let us give sacrificially. And this might be where some of us start to get a little uncomfortable. I mean, prayer, and that's not too committal. It's not too dangerous. I can, I can commit to pray. And I hope that some of you right now are thinking, I'm going to commit to pray based on what I've heard. But number two, let's give sacrificially. There's been a, there's a study a few years ago that says the American church gives five out of every $100 to global missions. I wish I could tell you that five meant $5, but it actually means five cents. That's an indictment. We're the richest country in the world. I want to make you a little more uncomfortable. The next slide, I'd like for you to get your phones out. Go to this website, globalrichlist.com. Go ahead and do it if you, if you wouldn't mind. And uh, maybe some of you have done this and you, you don't want to go there because it's going to make you feel uncomfortable again. I apologize, but then again, I don't. Go to this website. You're going to put in... Um, uh, the U.S. income, US, the U.S. dollar, and there's a place for you to put your income. And then just press submit. And you're going to find, most likely, and if we were to take a poll, which we're not going to, that most of us in this room would be in the top 15 percentile. In fact, I'll bet that 90% of us are in the first percentile, 1% of the richest people in the world i got to say that that's an indictment on the American church. We should give. Psalm 67 is very clear in the fact that we should give because he wills it. He wills it that he's given the wealth for his, uh, for his worship in the world. Malachi 3.10 says, Bring in the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and thereby, thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. I don't know any other passage in Scripture where God is basically saying, hey, test me. In fact, I, I dare you. I dare you to give. I, our mission story is, is an amazing one where we continued to give, and God just, he, it's like he, he took his dump truck full of cash and came in and dumped it on our front porch during those few years getting ready for Mexico. I, it is unbelievable the things that he did. He is able if we are faithful to give. So let's give sacrificially. Does, does your budget reflect the, the kind of uh, maybe awkward feeling that you're feeling right now that maybe I should give sacrificially? Does our church budget reflect that? That's why we're giving this month. That's why we're taking the entire month of, of December and Advent in giving our offering to global missions. And I, my prayer is that this is just a start, that this is just the appetizer, and that next year as we get into this uh, further, that we'll, 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 we'll take on the full meal, the entree of what global missions means for this church. And third and finally, go intentionally. Are you going to the unreached people? First of all, and back to this book, do you even know who they are? Uh, this is a great book. Um, and, and if you're interested in finding out who, uh, the, the, who out there needs to hear Christ, what people, groups have not heard, what are the, the statistics, how can I be praying? But, but, but in this point, go intentionally. 
The best source, this is a great source, the best source is the Bible itself. We find in Luke 10, Jesus sending out missionaries. He's sending out missionaries to places that he is about to go. He appointed 72, other, 72 others and sent them out ahead of him, two by two in every town uh, and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. See, there's a tight connection between praying and going. Here, Jesus sends out people to go. And a common prayer that we have at our house is that Jesus break our hearts for the things that break yours. And it's a fact that Jesus' heart is broken for the lost. So we're, we're compelled to go. Are you compelled to go? John Stott says, he's a, a, a famous global evangelical leader, and we'll close with this. Here lies the supreme missionary motivation. It is neither obedience to the Great Commission, nor compassion for the lost, not excitement over the gospel, but zeal for the honor of Christ's name. No incentive is stronger than the longing that Christ should be given the honor that is due his name. This is why we go. So let's go, let's pray, and let's give. Father God, um, as we close our time here, you've, you've used um, Robin and I to, to be instruments to make people feel uncomfortable, but you, you know, you know that this message is still uncomfortable for us. So Father, I just ask that in this uh, lack of comfort that many of us are probably sharing and, and, and witnessing right now, that you would come in and, and Lord, would you, would you give us peace that you've got this? Would you give us eternal eyes to know that when we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing your praise than the day we first begun. Help us to, to walk with eternal eyes knowing that, that this, this life is but a mist. Help us, Lord, to make Make your name great. I pray, Lord, that as we move forward and as we finalize our, our Advent offering, that you, would, that you would put in our hearts the fact that we need to give sacrificially, the fact that we need to pray more. And Lord, if there are people in this room that are having that, that itch or that, that, that nagging feeling or that, oh, no, feeling, Lord, are you talking to me to go? I pray, Lord, that you would allow us to have conversation. Help us to understand your will for our lives. Lord, we love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you, Robin and Christian. We're gonna take communion now. and. Uh